pull that open in front of you, and let me pray for us as we open God's Word. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather together, that you indeed draw us together in the Gospel. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your Word and hearts that are open to put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Michelle's, um, Michelle's grandfather, uh, on her father's side, has um, lived a uh, really lived a fascinating life. He's 97 years old, still going strong. Uh, he's got a quick uh, wit about him. Go and visit him. He's up in Ta- um, Taramara in Sydney. He, um, a, a defining time in his life when he served was when he served as a soldier in World War II, uh, and he served um, amongst the pyramids in Egypt. Sounds very sort of. Um, spectacular, I suppose it was, apart from people were shooting at him. Um, his role, though, was to deliver news and strategic information from the front line. He was what's called a runner. Now, if you've seen the movie Gallipoli, remember that old Australian movie, How Fast Your Legs, what is that, there goes, What Are Your Legs Still Springs? How, how fast can you run? Fast as a leopard. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you, people will just go, what are you doing? What are you talking about? That's okay. Uh, but so, so Michelle's grandfather was a runner, except World War I, they ran. Michelle's grandfather was a runner, um, and he rode a motorbike. So pretty amazing sort of story. Either way, whether you run in World War I or whether you want a motorbike in World War II, uh, I tell you what, it's a pretty scary sort of um, thing to have to do, a role to play deliver news from the front line back to the generals, to the strategic decision makers and so forth. Now today we start a new series in 1 Corinthians. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to come every week. Now, don't miss a week. Come every week because we'll follow through our first uh, eight weeks is chapter 1 to 7 and later on in the year we come back to it. Uh, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Now 1 Corinthians is a letter to the Corinthian church in response to news from the front line. That's what it is. And the front line is this church that Paul planted in the mid aid well, early, I should say, early 50s AD. So response to news from the front line. And we could say there were two runners who brought this news to Paul, if I keep the analogy going for a little while. The first set of runners were, um, uh, I guess the first runner was Chloe's household. Put it like that. Chapter 1, verse 11 tells us that uh, Paul responds to news from Chloe's household. And she, well, she and her household uh, speak of division and quarreling. So Paul responds to that, sends 1 Corinthians. Second, 1 Corinthians is also a response from others in the church who question Paul's authority. So a group did this via a letter sent to Paul while he was at Ephesus a couple years after his first visit at Corinth. And so what Paul does, he gets this letter and he responds. And that's 1 Corinthians in our Bibles today. Both runners, so to speak, brought matters to Paul's attention that was, well, that was bad news from the front line. And the bad news, if we could summarise it, one little sentence was this, that the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, mirrored the Corinthian city when it came to their lives. The Corinthian church mirrored the Corinthian city when it came to their lives. So what was the Corinthian city like, I hear you ask? Um, What was it like to live in Corinth in mid-50s AD? Now, I've given you a little little, um, summary of some background, historical background in your bulletin. There's a map there. This is the same map here. You can see Corinth just there. 
What's it like to live in Corinth? Well, here's a, a great quote from a really excellent commentary on this, um, uh, this letter, 1 Corinthians, uh, by a guy called Brian Rosner. Actually, he was a lecturer at Minot College. There you go. This is how he describes life in mid-50s AD Corinth. Roman Corinth was prosperous, cosmopolitan and religiously pluralistic, accustomed to visits by impressive travelling public speakers and obsessed with status, self-promotion and personal rights. Its inhabitants were marked by the worship of idols, sexual immorality and greed. Well, Paul's accusation... And as we'll see, there's much evidence for this as we keep reading through 1 Corinthians, is that these Christians, and I quote Rosner again, were simply trying to be Christians with a minimal amount of social and theological disturbance. It's a great line, isn't it? I'll say it again because it's worth scribbling down if you don't hear it right. These Christians were simply trying to be Christians with a minimal amount of social and theological disturbance. That's what they were doing. That's Paul's accusation. You see, the gospel was not transforming how they lived. Instead, they were conforming to the pattern of this world, to steal a line from Romans 12. Or as Paul puts it in chapter 3, he says, you're worldly. You're worldly. God's gospel was not transforming the way they thought about church. The way God's gospel was not transforming the way they thought about matters to do with church, church matters, things like how does church work, things like sex, things like idols, Uh, church matters like what do you do with dispute and conflict? That's a church matter. God's gospel was not transforming them in that way. And so Paul writes with the authority as an apostle, apostle means sent by Jesus, 1 verse 1. He writes them that authority and to tell them that the gospel must be transformational. The message of Jesus Christ crucified, it must change the way you live, how you think. In fact, Paul writes, the gospel itself is at stake when the church is not transformed by the message of Christ crucified. Verse 17, the end of our reading, says that the church's poor behaviour in the context of divisions empties the cross of its power. The church is God's advertisement for the gospel. So Paul not only writes to them about matters to do with church, he writes to them and reminds them that church matters. You get it? The gospel's at stake, church matters. So today we're going to flesh this out a little bit. That's a long introduction, it's the start of our series. Um, Church matters first and foremost, there's a first point in your outline there, because it's God's church. Turn with me and have a look at chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See that first little line there, the first phrase in verse 2, this is God's church. It's God's church. They belong to God. They're, they are part, they're part of God's great cosmic plan of salvation that God has drawn them together in the gospel they are his friends we are his this is God's church chapter 6 verse 20 says that we were bought at a price we've just sung about it we're going to sing about it in a minute as well the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin which washes away our sin 
makes us white as snow, as the psalmist writes. When I was 18, um, in my youthful exuberance and youthful impatience, I sold a bunch of shares, which are probably worth about a million dollars now, of course, and I bought my first decent guitar. Uh, that's what I did. Now, I still own that guitar. It's very special to me. I don't, don't use it most Sunday mornings. It's pretty worn out, but it's in my office and I play it when I can. Um, it, it's, it's a great guitar. I love it. And it'll always be mine. I will never sell it. I, I never sell on musical instruments. Um, Archie had a little bit of time playing trumpet. Stopped now, unfortunately. But um, the trumpet he was playing was my trumpet <laughs> when I was... 13 or 14 or something. So this guitar will always be mine. I'm happy to lend it out to people, but it's always mine. God's church will always be his. It's a great encouragement. 1 Corinthians shows us that he won't sell it off if a a string or two goes out of tune. Uh, He won't sell it off if it gets a scratch and gets a few bumps on it uh, or it needs some repairs. He brings it back in tune by his word, repairing through his word, rebuking, training, correcting. God doesn't give up on his church. God doesn't give up on his people, on you and I. Verses 2 and 3 show us, really in fact verses 2 to to 9, show us that God's church is a Christ-centred church. Uh, don't do it now, but see how many times you can count Jesus Christ in those first uh, nine verses. There's quite a few. It's a Christ-centered church. The church, verse 2, consists of those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Thanks to Christ's work on the cross, his blood shed for us, believers find themselves in a state of thank- uh, sanctification. That means they're made clean. They are acceptable to God. And so... Because of that work on the cross, they are called to be holy. Again, that means set apart, be like God. That's what we're called to be. And together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that last phrase, you see there at the end of verse 2, is a wonderful reminder that the holy people who belong to God, believers, extend far beyond just us. You know that? Not just us. If you're fortunate enough to have a, um, I don't know, an overseas holiday, uh, or maybe just a trip around Australia or, or something like that, or go on a holiday somewhere, why don't, why don't you visit a good Christian church? Now, don't, don't visit a dodgy one. Don't do that. But do your research. Find out a, where's a good, where a good Christian church is. and preach the Bible faithfully. And, um, and then go and visit them. And then experience this powerful fellowship that Paul's referring to here. It's great. It's wonderful. Now, there's no doubt that a church that is aware of its connection to the church universal, worldwide, let's say, is less likely to be be so absorbed in its own problems. I'm sure that that's what Paul has in mind when he adds this statement at the end of verse 2. Now, finally, about God's church still. In Paul's greeting in verse 3, he reminds them of what they have as God's church in the gospel. What do they have? What do we have? Grace and peace. Uh, Cause and effect, peace with God which flows from the grace of God in Christ Jesus, Christ crucified. So, even even though news from the front line, as we keep reading 1 Corinthians, is a little bit disturbing. It's not great news. There's a lot of problems there. 
people fighting, there's divisions, there's issues with sex, there's some bloke who has, who's, who's having sex with his, with his father's wife. Um, so there's all sorts of problems. There's people being, taking each other to court. There's a lot of disturbing news. Even, as we, uh, even though that news from the front line is disturbing, as we move on to verses 4 to 9, there is already much to thank God for. We've seen that already, haven't we? You see, God's church is a rich church. Now, not in a worldly monetary sense, which no doubt appealed to the Corinthians. Corinth was a place you'd go to go and get rich. If you wanted to get rich in Corinth, that's what you'd do. You'd go, sorry, you want to get rich, you'd go to Corinth. I don't know what the equivalent is today. Um, it might be Dubai, actually. Uh, you want to get rich, you go to Dubai. It doesn't work, by the way, don't try it. Um, <laughs> but if you want to get um, New York, London, I don't know what it might be. But the wealth, of course, Paul is referring to here is nothing to do with dollar, dollars or dirhams. Um, Paul's referring to something much more powerful, authentic and lasting. So, point two in our outline, a rich church. In verses four to nine, Paul thanks God for his church at Corinth. And he moves through, you can see them there, I think I've got it up in the overhead here. Oops, got behind, there we go. He moves through three phases as he thanks God for them. It's really, these three phases are about these lives being turned around by Jesus. Do you remember when you became a Christian? If you're a Christian person today, uh, do you remember what happened? Uh, do you remember what you were like before? Um, do you remember what, what changed in your life? Uh, I, I remember. Um, I won't go into it now. But um, uh, could you tell your story, maybe, maybe at lunch today or afterwards? You tell your story to someone about the before, the, the past, present and future story in your life. Um, this is what this is, really. And it's the Church of Corinth, their past, present and future story. So first, verse 4, Paul thanks God for what God has done. You see that? The grace of God in the past. The grace was given to them by God's mercy. They did not earn it. This grace flies in the face of all that Corinth stood for. Success, self-promotion. Do it yourself, excuse me, do it yourself. If I just work hard enough, if I just do this, then people will accept me. If I'm just a really... If I just speak really well, they've got rhetorical brilliance of something they loved. If I do that, then I'll be accepted and, and so on. Uh, it's, it's contrary to grace, isn't it? They're not uncommon attitudes today, are they, really? If I just work hard enough, I'll be accepted, I'll, I'll succeed. Well, you can't earn it with God. You can't earn it with God. It is grace only. His work, salvation is a gift alone. We put our trust in Him. Second, Paul thanks God for what he's doing in their lives, gift of, gifts of grace in the present. So past, we've done, present. Look at these great words. They have been enriched in every way in the Lord Jesus. See that? Enriched in every way in the Lord Jesus. Now, they're not perfect. It's not saying that at all. But in Christ, they do not lack. Do you know that? In Christ, you do not lack nothing. You are filthy rich in Christ. You do not lack. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, says that we are rich by the poverty of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, For you know the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
enriched in every way to the Lord Jesus. Now then verse 5, Paul actually picks up by way of an example something else they themselves highly valued. But we know they highly valued wealth. But now we see they highly, they highly valued something else. They have been enriched, he says, in all their speaking and in all their knowledge. So oratory giftedness and wisdom were sought after and well-admired attributes in Corinth. And so in Christ, Paul says, they, are, they, are, they have been enriched in every way, even in their speaking and knowledge. Now, we're going to have to wait till next week to find out what that means. Because <laughs> it gets on with it in the latter half, latter half of the chapter. We'll flesh it out then. But he's no doubt giving them a bit of a heads up uh, for later discussions because these two, are, these two terms are highly charged in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. So we'll leave that one there. In verses 8 and 9, Paul thanks God for what God will do. Uh, the future, as they eagerly await on the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, his return. Verse 8, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Je- our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. God is faithful. God is at work. What God starts, he finishes. Do you hear that? What he starts, he finishes. Remember, it's his church. It's his church. We were bought at a great price. What he starts, he finishes. I think this is a great encouragement. This letter is a great encouragement. As we keep reading, uh, that when it comes to God's church, believers and so on, he is faithful to his call. Even though, just like the Corinthians, we'll see, we, we actually don't get it right all the time. <laughs> we make mistakes too. And sometimes, yeah, we get a string or two, two out of tune. <laughs> we get a scratch on our guitar. But God, as we trust in his word, works in us and keeps us strong to the end. Isn't that a great encouragement? I think it is. Friends, verses 4 to 9 sum up what it is to be a Christian. Don't you think? Uh, that these verses speak of the wealth of knowing Jesus. This is what it means to follow him. Listen to it again. This is, that is, that, that, see, a Christian is someone who has been given God's grace, who has been enriched with spiritual graces. A Christian is someone who eagerly waits on the, the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. In one of our communion services, we, we say, Come, Lord Jesus. And I hope you say it in your heart. You want Jesus to come. A Christian is someone who will stand blameless on that day. We are washed white as snow. A Christian is someone who is in fellowship with God's Son. They are in Christ Jesus. I tell you what, you will be hard-pressed to find a more impressive list of benefits. You can keep looking if you like. You won't find one. No wonder Paul thanks God all the time. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are rich. So the church at Corinth is God's church. It's rich. It's a rich church in the Lord Jesus, all of which should translate, you would think, into transformed lives by the gospel. Instead, what has Paul got to do in verse 10? He appeals to them. He appeals to them in the name of the Lord Jesus, for they are a divided church. Verse 10 is the key. I appeal to you, Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. The church is not some club or society. 
they are God's people drawn together to be united and unified in Christ crucified. That's what brings us together. Paul appeals to them as an apostle in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, he could order them. He could say, you must do this. I'm an apostle. He doesn't do that, actually, does he? He exhorts them, he encourages them, he appeals to them in the name of the Lord Jesus to be unified. Uh, the same name that he sent in, in the Lord Jesus. So God says, through his apostle, that church is not about factions, division or individualism. Church is not about me. We need to keep saying this to ourselves. Church is not about me. <laughs> we do. So Chloe's household, don't know how big Chloe's household was, but anyway, uh, had reported back news from the front line. Uh, some members were identifying themselves with or taking sides with previous or present church leaders, some of whom had baptised them even. So there was Paul. We know a bit about Paul already. He was the one who planted the church at Corinth. Um, some of them were saying, oh, I follow Paul. And then others came along and said, well, oh, I follow Apollos. Now, Apollos was apparently a pretty good public speaker. Poor old Paul, he wasn't the greatest of public speakers. There's a guy called Eutychus, um, where Paul preached for a bit long and Eutychus was sitting on the windowsill. He was so bored and tired, he fell asleep and fell off the windowsill and he died. Um, yeah, tragic story. Um, but, by the grace of God, Paul performed a miracle. It is a funny story. Paul performed a miracle and Eutychus came back alive again. Um, I've got a great preaching book in my... In my um, in my uh, cupboard, uh, bookcase there uh, that's entitled Saving Eutychus. Um, it's a funny name for a preaching book, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, so yeah, there was, there was Apollos. He was the guy who followed Paul, so oh, I follow Apollos. And then there was um, Peter. Oh, I follow Peter. Now, Peter's the bigwig in Jerusalem. So he's the Jerusalem church leader. Uh, probably the Jews in the church at the time probably said, oh, I follow Peter. It was sort of one-upmanship. And then, of course, someone said, some, some wise spark in Corinth said, oh, I follow Jesus. It's pretty hard to top that, isn't it, really? Uh, oh, okay. It was a type of one-upmanship, a phony spirituality, boasting in their allegiance to who they thought was the greater, more gifted, rhetorically speaking, uh, more wise, generally more impressive, humanly speaking, leader, pastor. And Paul says such division has no place in God's church, so Paul appeals to them. Paul uses a word, a Greek word, katarizo. There it is there in Greek. You can have a bit of fun with that if you want to. Uh, it's commonly associated with repairing clothing. When he says in verse 10, be perfectly united, he's saying be restored be strengthened together to put in order to function well, that there are to be no tears or ripping apart of the fabric of the community. It's a pretty cool word. Now, I'm a bit excited by this, and I can tell you guys are too. That's wonderful. Let me go on a bit about it. Now, but what's interesting, what's interesting here, I do find this fascinating, it's the same Greek word that gets used in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus calls his disciples, James and John, who were at the time repairing or mending their nets. How cool is that? It's the same word, and that's the image Paul wants us to see. Mend your nets, be unified, uh, mend, restore, create, uh, strengthen. The point is God's church is not to be ripped apart and divided, but mended together in Jesus, united in Christ crucified, the gospel, 
it will function well. United in mind and thought. Again, it's a reference to how they think and that what they valued. Um, united together in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, reliance on human wisdom, in this case taking sides and dividing over who is the better public speaker or rhetorical brilliance, their reputation or even who baptised them, this loyalty or really it was a jealousy and a one-upmanship was a reliance on human wisdom and not the cross of Christ crucified. Uh, Such behaviour, verse 17 says, empties the cross of its power. It's the cross that is the power of God. The cross that is the great embarrassment. We'll see it next week. The cross that is the great foolishness. That is where God's power is. It is extraordinary. Not human reasoning, not human attitudes, nothing like that. It's the cross of Jesus. The cross, the gospel is not believable. Friends, when there is no evidence of it working in the church's life. The cross is emptied of its power when there's no evidence of it working in the church's life. Let me make one more comment and then we'll, we'll close and we'll pray. Uh, so we're reading this in verse 10 particularly, or verse, yeah, verse 10. And we see it that we ought to agree with one another, uh, that all of you may agree with one another so that there'll be no divisions. So no division, no disunity. We're to avoid division and disunity in God's church. But hold on, that's a bit tough, isn't it? Should we or can we disagree with one another then? It's a fair question, isn't it? Are we allowed to disagree? Or do you just sort of sweep it under the carpet and go, no, 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 I'm not going to say anything. Uh, is it ever right to disagree? Well, let's just put it in a bigger picture here. 1 Corinthians is all about disagreement. <laughs> 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul writes because he disagrees with what they're doing. So clearly, disagreement's okay. How we disagree is what's important. Unity, therefore, in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, not through factions and taking sides, but through Christ crucified drawing us together, through the word of God working on us as we seek unity in our disagreement. We seek unity in Christ crucified in our disagreement. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So when we disagree, well, we do it with patience and kindness and love, under the authority of God's word. Our guide, our light to our path, it guides our conversations, it guides our disagreements. The gospel, you see, shapes us. Christ crucified shapes us. Every time we have a disagreement, and we will, well, it's actually an opportunity for us to be more unified and united in Jesus. That's what it is. So we thank God for disagreements because this is an opportunity to... to be more united in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are times, sadly, when disagreement, though, must lead to division. When the word of God is not the authority and when false teaching leads people astray. So 2 Timothy 3, in its context there, warns the church at Ephesus about people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. These are, they look religious, Paul says in, in 2 Timothy, but they teach a different gospel. They speak of a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And Paul actually says at the end of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, uh, he says, have nothing to do with those people. It's division, division from false teachers. So there is a time when we ought to be divided and we ought to not be unified with such people. Well, friends, this is God's church and that means it matters. In, uh, In the gospel, we are rich in the Lord Jesus. 
So why don't we pray and ask God that we can be united in Christ crucified. Let's ask God for his gospel to transform us and let's thank God for the wealth we have in the Lord Jesus. Let's, let's do that now. Father, we thank you for your uh, goodness to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we are rich in Jesus Christ. Lord, please, please help us not to forget that, that we have everything we need. We have been enriched in every way because we have Jesus. Lord, please help us not to be worldly and sucked into those lies. Lord, we ask that you would transform us by your gospel. We pray that we'd be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his gospel. And that's the name we pray in. Amen. Got a couple minutes. Um, 1 Corinthians, we're probably not going to cover everything, so it's a good chance if you've got a quick question. Um, ask away. What you could do as well is put a question in the comment card, put it in the book, and then I'll address it next week. That's one option as well. Don't, don't forget to keep that in mind. Um, anyone need questions or comments?